This morning, uh, we are continuing in Revelation chapter 3. As a New Year's uh, sermon, I wanted to preach two messages on uh, revival. It's going to be more than two, sorry. (laughs) It's going to be at least three, but uh, I was planning to preach from verses 18 to 22. I'm actually only going to look at verse 18 today. But I want to read the whole section. This is the last of the seven letters to the churches of Asia in Revelation. And this is the Laodicean church, the last one in the book. So I'll begin reading with Revelation 3 and verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the living God inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and powerful, let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word, and this portion of your word, and we ask that uh, you would work in us to uh, bring us into conformity with what we hear. We pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from lukewarmness, and that you would truly revive us by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So the church of at Laodicea was the last of the seven churches that are that Christ had a message for uh, in chapters two and three of the book of Revelation, and it has been said that the church uh, at Philadelphia was probably the best of the seven churches because Christ didn't have much, anything bad to say about them, but La- the Laodicean church was probably the worst. He didn't really have anything good to say about them. Uh, he did have some good things to say to them, which is uh, everything he says in this letter, this message uh, to them. But uh, last week in verses 14 to 17, we, we saw that Christ had some hard words for this church. Uh, he said they were lukewarm and that uh, he was about to spew them out of his mouth. Uh, and, and that's not a good thing. Uh, they had become self-sufficient. They had become complacent in their faith. And they thought that they were doing really well, but they were very ignorant of the reality of their sinfulness 
and their wretchedness. They thought it was all well with their souls. Maybe they, if they had had that hymn, they would sing it. It is well with my soul. But Jesus said, in actuality, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It was an honest assessment, an assessment they needed to hear. And if Jesus stopped at that point, it, it might have seemed that there was no hope for this church. You know, it, it, you know here's a church. Uh, come to our church. We're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Um, you wouldn't want to be a part of that church. There's no hope for that church, right? Well, uh, thankfully, Jesus goes on, as we see today, uh, to give them words of hope. Uh, and, and, and thankfully for them and for us, uh, that's not the end of the story. He gives loving counsel uh, to, as, as an answer that, for these things and, and so that they would not remain in their lukewarm condition. I hope that when you came here today, whatever state your, uh, your spiritual life is in right now, that you came with a desire to leave differently uh, than you came, to be different, to be better, to, to be renewed in your faith. And in your love for God. You know, Isaiah said that Christ uh, would be called Wonderful Counselor. And the church desperately needs to listen to his counsel today. And thankfully, no church, no believer in Christ is beyond hope uh, in the hands of such a wise physician, a wise counselor of the soul. And uh, uh, the good news, as, as Doug Kelly put it, uh, is that God's grace reaches us, whether we're like Philadelphia or Laodicea or any of the seven churches. Uh, God's grace reaches out to us in love and says, it can be different if you listen to me. Things may not be what, you know, the way we would like them in our lives, uh, but with God, things can be different. Uh, in Christ we can become the people God wants us to be. With God's help, we can see change in our lives and, and in the lives of others. We can grow in grace. Uh, we can be revived. And so if Christ still speaks to a church, as he was still speaking to Laodicea, and if he's still speaking to us in this church, then that means it's never too late for us. If Christ stops speaking, there's no word from God, then that's when we're in trouble. Uh, so things can be different if we will listen to his counsel. And as we get into this text of scripture, I would just ask that you pray with me in your heart a simple prayer. Uh, one that Samuel prayed when God was speaking to him. And first he didn't know it was God speaking. And, and finally when he understood it was God speaking, he said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So pray that prayer in your heart as, as we go through this text today. And in verse 18, which is the text for us really of this sermon, uh, the, the risen Lord mentions three things uh, that the Laodiceans needed to buy from him, as it were. Uh, and these items are the counterparts to three of the things he mentioned about them. They're the counterparts to their poverty, their blindness, and their nakedness. And he says, first of all, uh, this relates to their spiritual poverty. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Now, the, the members of the Laodicean church had said earlier, he, Jesus said, you say, I am rich. I've be we've become wealthy and have need of nothing. And they probably were 
financially well-off. Uh, but they also thought that they were well off spiritually and that they had um, maybe a, a higher spiritual state than, than others around them. But Jesus said they were actually poor. Uh, they were actually in a, living in a state of spiritual poverty. I remember uh, as a child I was interested in uh, rock hunting and, and finding rocks. And we, there was a, a small rock museum in uh, in Saluda, North Carolina, that used to be open, and we would go in there and see all sorts of beautiful gemstones and rocks. And one of the things that always fascinated me was uh, a rock called pyrite. Uh, we know it as fool's gold. Uh, it looks like gold, and it's heavy, and it seems like boy, this has got to be some valuable uh, stone here. I wish I could find one of those, uh, but it's a worth, relatively worthless mineral. Uh, that has fooled many people looking for gold. And uh, so the Laodiceans, you see, they, they, had, they thought they were rich, but it was just a bunch of fool's gold, really, uh, in terms of, of what their lives were actually like. Uh, they had fooled themselves into thinking they were spiritually wealthy, but in reality they were bankrupt. And their souls were bankrupt at that time. And Jesus counsels them, he says, buy gold, refined in the fire from me. And it's striking, you know, when you come to a poor person and say, well, you need to, you need to buy this gold. Well, they have no money. How are they going to pay for this gold? Well, it's, it's the kind of purchase like the one the prophet Isaiah mentions in Isaiah 55, verse 1. It says, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, and without price. See, Jesus Christ offers to each of us, freely offers to sinners what they cannot afford, uh, what they could never pay for, what they do not uh, deserve and could never earn, but what they desperately need. So God's grace, you see, has already paid uh, the price for everything we need in Jesus Christ. And, and so the only price, really, that the proud Laodiceans uh, could, could use to buy what they needed from Christ was simply to admit their poverty, to admit their need, and to receive the true riches of God's grace from Christ as his gift. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have nothing if they will humble themselves and receive by grace uh, my gift of salvation uh, and, and admit their poverty of spirit. They can become wealthy. They can have the, the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So why did Christ offer them gold, especially gold refined in the fire? Of course, he's not speaking about literal gold here, but uh, something he's speaking about that which is of precious worth and value. So let me ask you this question: What is it that you value most in your life today? Uh, maybe it's your possessions, maybe it's your bank account, your intellect, your accomplishments. Maybe it's friends, your family members. Uh, maybe it's uh, your abilities, your place in life. What, whatever it is that you value most. Uh, it, the prophet Jeremiah says, uh, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. Uh, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, uh, whatever it is that you value in life, it's, 
this is the thing of utmost value, that you know me, that you understand me and know me. In other words, the thing you ought to value, that I ought to value most in life, is, is my relationship with God. Uh, to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And to know Him better and better as the days go on. That is worth more than anything else in life. And then I th- think of First Peter chapter 1, where the Apostle Peter s- speaks of gold. He says, you have been uh, grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in, in this case, uh, we see that gold refined in the fire has something to do with the testing of our faith, with the trials and, and the difficulties that come our way. And that God uses these things. In fact, he even brings these things into our lives. Uh, and, and, and you say, why would God send trials and pain into my life? I thought I was his child. I thought he loved me. Um, well, he does so because he loves us. And he wants us to have true riches. And true riches are are the pure gold, not the fool's gold, but the pure refined gold. And the only way that can happen is through trials and tribulations that God brings into our lives. And, and so he wants you to have the refined gold of a pure and genuine faith. And as I said, you know, above all else, we, you know, we need to value our relationship with God. But how do we have a relationship with God? except through faith, right? It's, it's, our faith is what connects us to God uh, at the beginning and all throughout. Uh, we walk by faith. We, we, we are saved by faith. And so we need to value, highly value this faith. And this faith needs to be purified as time goes on. It needs to be refined. And Christ says, buy from me gold that is refined. Don't be satisfied with anything less. But we also remember this, that that the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And so that means we ought to also value the Word of God above all these things in the world. Uh, And Psalm 19 speaks of the value of God's Word. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. So, so the word of God is what brings us faith, and the faith is what brings us to God, connects us to him, and that faith will be refined if we look to Jesus Christ and, and, and buy without money, without cost, freely of his grace. We seek it, and he gives it to us. So have you bought any gold lately? You know, we hear these advertisements, right, for, for gold, uh, you know, that the stock market's going to crash, Buy gold and you'll be safe. But Jesus counsels us to invest in gold, the purest gold of all. Not the world's gold, but the riches that we have in Jesus. Colossians says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. These are things that far outshine the gold of this world. And and best of all, it's free. And it's free to those who know that they have nothing with which to pay. Uh, And and that's true when we first come to Christ, but it's also true as we continue on. We know salvation is a gift of grace. Uh, 
we probably we understood that or else we weren't saved uh, in the beginning, but we understood that when we came to Christ. But it's true at all times. And so remember, Christ is not speaking to the world. He's not speaking to the unsaved in this passage. He's speaking to believers, professing Christians. And, and, and so he's speaking to you and me this morning. Uh, this is not for someone else. It's for you. It's for me. And he's speaking to those of us who, who have become lukewarm and a, a bit indifferent and apathetic in our faith. And we've been attracted by the glitter of this world and we, we're not so excited about the things of God. Uh, Jesus says, I've got this refined gold that, you know, in Christ, the Bible says, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. He's full of grace and truth. And it says, and of his fullness we have received grace for grace. And so if we would experience revival, we need to, to take heed and to listen to Christ's counsel here and continue to draw uh, that refined gold from the deep well of God's grace in him. The second thing that the Laodiceans are told by Christ in verse 18 to buy is white garments. Buy white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. White garments represent righteousness, purity, uh, and acceptance with God. And, and, and the problem with the Laodiceans is, is that they thought they were well-dressed, if you will. Uh, but Jesus said they had nothing. Uh, they had no garments at all with which to cover themselves. They were naked. And nakedness is, is one of those things uh, that we read about early on in Scripture. Because Adam and Eve, um, uh, they were naked and unashamed uh, before they sinned. But after they sinned, they realized their nakedness and they were ashamed. And so uh, uh, since the fall, we've all covered ourselves up. And uh, we, we don't want to be naked. Uh, but the, the Laodiceans, you see, they didn't think they needed any garments. They thought they were uh, dressed just fine. And they already had their own uh, covering for their souls. And uh, Jesus says, you need some clothing. You're naked. And you don't realize it, but you need a white robe. You need white garments to wear. And he offers, you see, to us the perfect robe of his righteousness to cover the shame of our sin. By, by nature, we try to cover our sins like Adam and Eve did with, with fig leaves. They, uh, that was their own doing. And we try to cover our sins and our shame by self-righteousness and trying hard and, and doing good works. In the funeral service yesterday for Lynn's mother... We learned that she was uh, someone who cared deeply about people. Uh, she did lots of good deeds in her life. But it wasn't until the very end of her life she came to know Jesus Christ savingly. And so uh, it wasn't until then that she put on uh, the white clothes of Christ's righteousness. And so today I would urge you, uh, to make certain that you have done that, that you have come to Christ and put on his white clothes that he offers to us freely. As fallen and sinful human beings, the Bible tells us we have no righteousness of our own. There's nothing in us that's acceptable to God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, 
And Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, We're all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And so anything that we would do to try to cover our sins and make ourselves acceptable to God with uh, just doesn't work. The only clothing uh, that we can wear that will make us able to stand before God is, is the clothing he provides. And so... Um, most of us, again, understood that when we first came to Christ. And we think, well, okay, once I'm justified by faith, I'm accepted as righteous in, in Christ's sight with the righteousness of Christ imputed to my account, then uh, that's, that's in the past and I go, go on. And, and in a sense, that's true. But, you know, after we live for a while as Christians, after we kind of, the Lord cleans up our lives and we begin to make progress in our Christian walk and we begin to serve him and, and do things, we might think after a while that we have some righteousness of our own. Uh, and, uh, and yet we still fall short of God's glory uh, as Christians, and we need to recall uh, and, and to continue to trust in that righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this is what we see in, in Philippians chapter 3 with the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a uh, a, a former Pharisee, but he got saved. He was converted. He came to Christ and began to be very zealous for the Lord. But after that, as he reflected on his life, even after his salvation in Philippians 3, he says, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You see, no matter how sanctified we might become, no matter how useful we might become in the kingdom of God, serving the Lord, we will never outgrow our need for the imputed righteousness of Christ. I mean, some of the greatest uh, Christians in, in the history of the church have said on their deathbeds that their final, their ultimate, their only hope at that time, was the righteousness of Christ. And so that is our hope. And his righteousness alone covers the sinful shame and nakedness of our souls. Are you resting in that righteousness this morning? You should. Do you know Christ? Then rest in his righteousness. Have you put on the white garments that he gives? You know, I learned this week that the, the Laodiceans were also, they were known not only for this lukewarm water that flowed from the springs nearby, but uh, they were known uh, at the time this letter was written for wearing, uh, many of them wore these black woolen garments. And, and that was because they prided themselves on uh, raising sheep uh, that had black wool. That was just a characteristic that was known uh, in, in, in the Laodicean community. And so Christ is is saying, obviously, here's a contrast. You're wearing this black wool, but what you need is white robes. You need white clothing because that's what I alone can bring to you. And uh, the well-known hymn we sing, Rock of Ages, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. And so we are Christians who, who are desiring at least your pastor is desiring for you and for me i hope you also are desiring to experience true spiritual revival 
in your life and in our congregation. And if so, uh, then we need to recognize uh, our nakedness and continue to come to Christ and put on this righteous robe by faith and, and, and daily come to Him for dress, come to Him for grace. And as soon as we think that we've arrived and that we, we've moved beyond somehow these things, uh, attained some level of mastery or spiritual perfection, which we do not believe is possible, uh, then we're in trouble. And, and Paul said this again in Philippians 3, verse 12, not that I've already attained or am already perfected. I don't know what the perfectionists do with that statement. Uh, but he says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And so if Paul had that mindset that I have not attained, I am I, not made perfect. I am only accepted in that righteousness that Christ has. And, and, and yet I desire to be perfected. I desire to be revived. And so here's the thing. You know, Adam and Eve, they, they sinned. And they knew they were naked. They were ashamed of that. They tried to make their own clothing. And they also hid from God. Of course, God sought them out and found them. And you may be one who's been trying to hide from God. You have some things you're very ashamed of. You, you, nobody else knows. But God, you know that God knows. And God sees. And he's speaking. And he says, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? And so don't hide from the Lord in your shame and sin. Come to him. He's got something for you to wear to cover that shame, to cover that sin. And that's his perfect righteousness. No matter how filthy you have become, Christ is able to cleanse you. And Christ is able to keep you uh, and, and to, to do in your life what needs to be done. And so keep fleeing to Christ. Keep looking to him. Keep resting in his righteousness. Because if you don't, uh, if you do not understand that you have a righteousness in, for, in which you can rest and be accepted by God, and you look at yourself and your sins, you will get very discouraged. So look to Christ and rest in his perfect righteousness. The, look, the third and last thing that <clears throat> Jesus counsels this church at Laodicea to buy from him is eye salve. Eye salve. Uh, he says, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. <clears throat> And um, again, Laodicea was known at that time for having the special eye salve that could heal ailing eyes. And uh, doctors today wish they knew what was in that salve because, because evidently it had some great healing properties. But the problem is, is they, they might have had good physical eyesight and, and had the ability to maybe heal some problems with their eyesight. They were spiritually blind. They were blind, but like the Pharisees, they thought they could see. Um, and, and spiritual blindness, again, is how we are uh, born into this world. Uh, blindness is the inability to see, to understand truth or reality. And some things we are blind to, we can be blind, again, to our own sinfulness, like the Laodiceans were. We can be blind to the things of God. We can be ignorant as to uh, sound truth and doctrine. We can be blind to uh, reality in our lives. Uh, and, and sometimes our spiritual vision uh, becomes cloudy. And when that happens, um, you know, things begin to, to be fuzzy. We really... Uh, 
don't understand what's going on in our lives. We, can't, we, we don't have an explanation. I had a recent eye checkup, and uh, at 65, 66 years old now, I was told I have cataracts. Well, I did I hear, I heard last night, watching the video, that um, almost everybody will have cataracts by this age. Uh, so you, if you're my age, you probably have them or have already had them. But um, I, I knew before the appointment that I had that my vision in one of my eyes was becoming a little cloudy. And, uh, and, and thankfully, there's a remedy for this. And see, Christ has a remedy for our blurred vision, for our lack of clarity and understanding things. And I want to talk about that uh, for a minute. And um, we need to anoint our eyes with the eye salve that Jesus provides. You see, only Christ can enable us to see. Jesus said, you will know the truth. That's saying you will see and understand the truth. And by that truth, you will be set free. So Christ will enable us to see things in our lives and in our world as they really are. And when we come to Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, who is God, uh, indwells those who believe. And the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2.20, he says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, And you know all things. And I won't try to get into that verse, but basically this anointing of the Holy Spirit enables us to see, to understand the Word of God and to understand um, our sin, to see our sin, to see our Savior, and to see the path forward uh, once we come to put our faith in Jesus. So we we need this eye salve in an ongoing way. Way just like we we continue to need the robes of His righteousness and that refined gold, we need eye salve. Uh, we need to pray such prayers as found in Psalm 119. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wonderful things in Your law. We need God, the Holy Spirit, uh, to enlighten our minds to overcome biblical ignorance and and erroneous thinking, and and of course such a prayer. Lord, you know, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law, your word, that presupposes that we're in the word of God, that we're reading it, we're meditating on it, and we're studying it. Uh, Psalm 1 verse 2 describes the person, we read this earlier, the one who is really blessed. Uh, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So uh, the eye salve that Christ provides is his word, and his spirit and both must go together we need divine revelation that's the scriptures of course inspired by the spirit of god but we need uh, the illumination of the spirit of god as we read and hear his word uh, and, and as he enables us to understand it and apply it in our lives and, and as i mentioned earlier i have cataracts they tell me in preparation i have an appointment for consultation evaluation in a couple weeks and they said, you know, two weeks before that appointment, I need to put these drops in my eyes three to four times a day. And, you know, it's not too hard, really, to do. It's not a, uh, a you know, a, a crazy thing to ask. And, um, and yet, what if we took the scriptures into our lives that frequently? Not just once a day or once a week, but, but all throughout our day. We're meditating on Scripture. We're bringing it to mind. We're reading it. We have, yeah, have times where special times that we set aside to read the Bible. 
but we also be, we, we, we take it with us uh, every hour throughout the day. And, you know, if we don't uh, take the Bible seriously and use it daily in our lives, uh, our vision's going to be blurry again. I promise you. And that happens. We've seen that with some of the young people, uh, younger generations today, who grew up in church, and they have started to uh, drift away from the faith. Some have abandoned the faith altogether. And uh, I will guarantee you uh, that there was an abandonment of the Scriptures in that person's life at some point. Before they abandoned the Lord, they abandoned His Word. So don't give up. Uh, Stay in the Word enables us to see, to have a biblical world and life view. And many say they know the Lord, but their views are no different than the world. Uh, they, they think about uh, morality just like the world does. And so we need this eyesight from Christ that we might see all things in our own lives, uh, in our church, and in this world <clears throat> as Christ sees them. So Christ gives us counsel today. Um, you didn't know you were coming for counseling, but that's true every week, really. And uh, sometimes we, we, we do offer counseling here, biblical counseling, and, and people come in uh, to my office or to someone, meet someone in a, in a Sunday school classroom uh, to, to, to have biblical counseling on, on an issue they're dealing with in their lives. And we can give counsel, but it's up to the person who comes in to hear and to heed and take that counsel and apply it in their lives. Jesus is the great counselor, the wonderful counselor, and we need to listen to what he's saying. We need to do what he says, or else why bother uh, listening if we're not willing uh, to do what he says? Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me. Now, Christ is the only place where you can find the things that he is offering. You must come to him. You must come back to him. can't get them anywhere else. And so if you're lukewarm, if you're struggling, come to Christ and listen to his counsel, and you'll experience true revival. And don't sit around thinking about the past. We can learn from the past. We're doing that in Sunday school hour. We're learning about the history of revival. Don't sit around thinking that, well, revival is the work of God, so uh, it's just God's got to do it. There's nothing I can do. No, uh, we can buy these things. We can heed his counsel and buy these things from God. What revival means uh, is is a new and fresh work of God in the life of the Christian, in the life of the church, and maybe in the life of a nation. And that's what we're seeking. That's what we're praying for. That's what we desire. And where are we going to get it? It's only from Christ. We need to come to him and heed his counsel. And we also think of not only the counsel of the Lord from his written word, we have the Lord's Supper before us, which is a visible uh, reminder of these things that we have uh, heard of and taught and were taught in the scripture. So 